Okay, Pastor, it's good to have you here this morning. Philippians chapter 1, if you'll turn there, Philippians chapter number 1. How many of you did not get a handout today? Hold your hand up if you didn't get a handout. Just a few. If you want to keep your hand up, thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you, Andrew. Philippians chapter 1, as your pastor mentioned, yes, conference week. It's exciting. Many folks be coming in throughout the week. And I want you to know I've been praying for this church and for this meeting uh, during the next few days that God would encourage and build up and edify and strengthen all of us as we look to heaven and look in the Word of God. So it's going to be a blessing, and I'm looking forward to it as well, and looking forward to being with you. Pastor Hernan, thank you for the invitation and opportunity to be here. As he mentioned, I pastor the Open Door Baptist Church in Linwood, Washington. We're about 20 minutes north of Seattle. How many of you know uh, where Seattle is, or you've heard of Seattle? Hold your hand up. <laughs> You're laughing like it's, it is bad. No, I'm just kidding. It's not the Bible Belt. I'll say that. But uh, I've been there. I started going to our church when I was 18 months old. And uh, I've been on staff for 22 years almost. I've been the senior pastor for about 16 years. And uh, when my pa- our church has only had one pastor for four decades outside of me. And I went to the Christian school there when I was a little kid. I think I was the worst kid that school ever had. But... God has grace and a sense of humor, and uh, so I'm pastoring that church, and it's been it's been a blessing. It really has. We have a good church, we have a good staff. Uh, we are in an area that is um, very liberal. The whole kind of Washington, Oregon, California. Very so. Uh, I think the darker the night, the brighter the light, and so we're just trying to hold up the word of God and be a, a blessing in that community and get the gospel out uh, to a lost into a dying world. I'm going to jump right into our lesson here today. This is a just a shorter lesson, but a, a thought I want to give with you uh, as we think about the kickoff to the meeting and also my observations of uh, something that I think some folks struggle with sometimes and, and I want to try to be a help to you and encouragement. So I want to read one verse and then I want to read it together with you and then let's have a word of prayer and we'll ask God's blessing Uh, on our lesson here this morning. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. The Bible says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let's let's read that together. Verse number 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you this morning, and we thank you for loving us. Thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, Thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. And Father, I thank you for Good Shepherd Baptist Church and the testimony that this church has been for many years in this community. Father, I thank you for Pastor Hernan and his vision and leadership and your hand upon him. I pray that you would continue uh, to use this church in the last days uh, to be a testimony in this community and in the regions beyond. I also pray for this week ahead, as many be traveling in, God, that you'll give them safety. I pray for each preacher, that you'll give them wisdom and clarity. 
Uh, help them to effectively communicate what you've laid on their heart. And I pray most of all that uh, the saints that come would be built up and edified and strengthened as we look to you. And I also pray that you would be glorified. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And amen. Uh, this message today or this thought or this lesson, I titled it Rooted in Confidence. And um, as I think about confidence, the word itself means full of conviction, having or showing assurance, trustful. And the reason I told your pastor in the office here this morning, I kind of felt a little bit uh, led towards this lesson um, is because everything that's going to take place and that's going to transpire in the coming days here uh, is going to go back to one specific thing. It's going to go right back to this book. And uh, we need to make sure that we have absolute confidence in everything that God said and that it is true. And I say that because there are many people sometimes that do struggle uh, with some things in the Bible. And I want to help you with that today if I can. As we think about the word confidence, I want us to look at each point today as you have this three-point lesson and ask ourselves the question. And be, be transparent with yourself. How confident am I in each of the three subjects that we'll look at, or three topics, if you will, that we'll look at today? And ask yourself, do I struggle with doubt in any of these areas? Do I struggle? Do I find myself wondering ever if what I always believed is true? You see, many people have had a bad experience, and it's kind of undermined their faith in Christianity, in the Bible, in, in preachers, in this, in that, in people, and, and doubt can creep in. And, and, and by the way, let's, let's just be honest, it can happen to any of us. And before you get too down on yourself or do too discouraged sometimes, if you catch yourself doubting, just, just remember that uh, great men of God throughout the Bible have always had some issues periodically with doubt. A good example would be John the Baptist, who obviously uh, spent time with the Lord. He baptized Jesus Christ. And the next thing you know, John's in prison. And as soon as he's in prison, he says to his disciples that came to the jail cell, is Jesus the Messiah or do we look for another? He's already doubting. And he's the guy who spent time with the Lord. David struggled with doubt. He said in Psalm 13, where are you, Lord? Where are you? Are you there? As he said in Psalm 13. So don't beat yourself up if you ever struggle with doubt. Now, if you do struggle with it, if it does happen and you feel it you know, periodically, where do these thoughts of doubt come from? Now, I want to just kind of pause there for a minute and, and think about that. If you do, and you were transparent and said, yeah, there's, there's times I do doubt some of these thoughts. Where, where does that come from? Where do the thoughts originate from? In my experience, I observe uh, how people respond to doubt in different ways. Some people respond to doubt and um, they investigate. They start researching, and I'm doubting this, or I'm doubting. They just do massive investigations to try to diffuse their doubts. Other people that, that struggle with doubt, they internalize it. 
and they're very quiet about it and they keep it to themselves, but privately they're leading a life of despair. They're, they're in church even, but wondering if it's all real. Is this true? Is the word of God what it says? Some act on those doubts and they leave their faith altogether. They doubt Christianity. They doubt the word of God. They doubt the Lord's coming back and uh, all these things. And uh, they leave the faith altogether. And I've talked to many people who, who used to believe. You know, by, by the way, there's no such thing as somebody who, somebody who used to be saved. There's no such, biblically speaking, there's no such thing as why well, I used to be saved. If you're saved, you're saved. <laughs> there's, there's no doubt about it. I've never seen somebody walk away from the faith who eventually excels in anything. It's usually a downward spiral. You don't see them five years later when you're like, they're way up here, you know, when they were over here. They're, they're usually down here when you walk away from God because his hand isn't going to be upon you. His blessing is not there. And so the question goes back again, where does the doubt originate from? Where does it come from? Just quickly, if you would, hold your place in Philippians. Look at Genesis. Turn over to Genesis, if you would, in chapter 3. Genesis chapter number 3. <clears throat> and notice, if you would, verse number 1. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He goes on to say in verse 4, Ye shall not surely die. So right off the bat we see the devil who might I submit to you this morning, is the originator of doubt, questioning what God said from the very beginning. So the question, if the devil's the originator of doubt, how should you and I respond? So if doubt comes your way, we know where doubt comes from. We see the very first time it pops up in your Bible is coming from the devil. And it's interesting, he's casting doubt on what God said Right off the bat, in the day you, sh you shall surely die, you're not going to die, and begins to question what God said. So I'd say, first of all, remember this. If doubt creeps in your mind, you know the devil is the originator of doubt. John chapter 8 and verse number 44, the Bible says this. The devil, he is a murderer from the, from the beginning, and he abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. Listen to this. Speaking of the devil, when he speaketh a lie, okay, he's lying to you, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. It's the devil. The second thing I would say is, is this, when you, if you do struggle with doubt and it comes your way, extrapolate, okay? In essence, what do I mean by that? What's the alternative? So there's really, there's two ways. There's envision this. So let's pretend that this is the way uh, this is the right way. This is the way that God would have you to go. This is the path. This is the right path. And you're to go this way. Well, there's, there's only one other way. It's to go 
the other path, and this would be the way of the world, the way of the unsaved, the way of humanism, the way of the world system. There's really only two choices. We're going to serve God or we're not going to serve God. So the hypothetical or the alternative is this. If the word of God is not true, if it's not true, if Christianity is false, if the local church is a fallacy, if there's no value in what you do for God, in your soul winning, in your Bible reading, in your prayer, uh, you have a Christian school here, you're teaching kids, uh, you know, yes, reading, writing, arithmetic, but also faith in God. If there's no value in what you do in that, then, then what do we do if there's no value in it, if it's really truly a fallacy? Well, biblically speaking, what we would do then is we would just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. There's no, why would you be investing on having a conference, everybody coming in, and everything revolves around this book and the Lord Jesus Christ? Why, if it's a fallacy? That would mean that, listen, hey, there's no God, no heaven, no hell, right? Sounds like a Beatles song. And uh, no accountability, simply the survival of the fittest. I've been asked the questions many times. What if all we do is, is false? First response when somebody asks me that. It's not, unequivocally. But to play your game, if that was the case, and it was a fallacy, and it wasn't true, the Bible wasn't true, Christianity wasn't real, Jesus Christ wasn't real, he wasn't crucified, he didn't live a sinless, perfect life, go to the grave, and then was crucified, and buried, and risen, and all of these things. If it wasn't true, what does that mean? Which we know it is. It means that you lived a moral, ethical, upstanding citizen, a life of honor and integrity, uh, and versus the alternative. And some people don't understand, by the way, if it was not true, and we know it is, okay, that's that. If it is true and somebody says, I'll just take my chances, um, that's not a very smart thing to do. Well, we'll figure it out in the end. No, you're going to stand at the great right throne judgment seat. And he's going to say, what did you do with Jesus Christ? So, recently I did a devotion in our midweek service in John chapter number six. And I'll just briefly tell you, and we're going to jump right into our little points here. The points aren't long. Um, John chapter six. Jesus in John six had some very hard things to say, say to his disciples. Imagine sitting there and Jesus looks at you and you're part of that group and he says, around verses 52, 56, 55, in there he says, if you, eat of, if you don't eat of my flesh, and drink of my blood, then you have no part in me. And the Bible says that many of his disciples walked away from him and they never walked with him again. And Jesus looks at Peter and the others and he says, will you leave also? And Peter looked at him, I love his response, he says this, Lord, where will we go? For you have the words of eternal life. May I ask you a question this morning? Where else are we going to go? He has the words of eternal life. So there's two options. May I say God's way is the best way. So as you think about being rooted in confidence, I want to give you just a few areas of my observation. Many Christians go through stages of doubt and they struggle. 
First of all, notice, in you, if you would, in your notes, uh, confidence in the Scriptures. Confidence in the Scriptures. Am I confident in the Scriptures? Private, not just vocally, but inside. Do I really, really, really believe that this book is inerrant? It's infallible. It's providentially preserved. I don't correct it. It corrects me. That God in his sovereignty, this book came to be. And it's alive. It's God-breathed. John 17, 17, you'll see it in your notes here. Jesus said this, sanctify them through thy truth. He made this statement. He said this, thy word is truth. Now, the reason I start with the scriptures is because that is God's revealed word to man. Jesus said that God's word is true. Do you believe that? That's the basis of our faith. And by the way, the devil has attacked the word of God, as we saw earlier, from the very beginning. The battle always has been, don't miss this, the battle has always been, even with heresy, the battle has always been the attack on what God said. That's the battle. You understand, when I mention heresy, a heresy is simply a truth misplaced. I don't know what it's like in Australia, but I know in America and I know in the greater Seattle area where I'm from, uh, there's, you know, lots of, uh, you know, you have the Mormon church, you have the Jehovah Witness church, and some good people, nice people, but doctrinally we disagree. Do you understand if you study, and I did a whole Sunday night series at our church called Comparative Religions, where we looked at Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and Catholicism and Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness and just kind of what they believe on key tenets and here's what the Bible says about it. Well, the interesting thing about it is if you study them, there's a lot of truth in some of the things they're saying, but it's completely misplaced. Okay, so you, for example, you don't earn your way to heaven, but there's many of those that teach you earn you, your merit by what you do. The Bible's diametrically opposed to that. You're saved by grace through faith plus nothing. So the battle's always been over what God said. The Bible's not a textbook that attempts to, you know, to, to prove the existence of God. The Bible opens up with the positive fact that God does exist. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God just starts. It never occurred to any writer to prove that fact. The Bible states that it's a fool who denies the existence of God. I think it's Psalm 14 and verse 1, the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Creation itself bears witness of that. We know in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, the Bible says this, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. In my opinion, anybody who's honest would acknowledge the evident fact of a living God. Now, I will admit it takes faith. I mean, but just, just real quick, I'll digress for a minute and just say, 
and I've studied Darwinism, um, and you have a theory, right? And that theory, and even, it doesn't matter if it's Richard Dawkins or who they are, it takes faith because of, you know, the missing link and all this stuff. But it takes faith to believe in evolution. It also takes faith to believe in the Bible, and I don't have any problem saying that. But they both take faith. We can't demonstrate creation. However, we believe it's true because the scriptures declare it to be so. The heavens declare the glory of God. We can't demonstrate the Trinity, yet you believe it because the Bible says so. The virgin birth, it's hard to explain the virgin birth, but you believe it and you go on and on and on and on. And, and so it all takes faith. The Word of God proclaims, not defending, proclaims the truth. It's our job to believe it or not. There is no middle ground. Listen to this quote, if you would, from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. When it comes to our faith in the Word of God, he said this, I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt or else not believe Him at all. He says, believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There is no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deep deeps of divine revelation. Can you sit here today and say, I believe every word in the Bible. Now, notice, I didn't say, do you understand every word in the Bible? I don't understand. I, I have been studying this book for decades, and there's the more I read it, the less I understand. As a matter of fact, I'm more worried about the stuff I do understand than I am about the stuff I don't understand because of the accountability that that gives. I don't understand everything, but I believe it. I don't fully understand the Trinity, but I believe it. Let me give you a, just a, a brief little story that, that typifies that point. Story told of an uh, elderly man who was wandering through the desert and he was looking for water. He approached an old shack on the porch and on the porch he found a water pump. Next to the pump, he saw a one-gallon jug of water. A note on the jug said, use all the water to prime the pump. He's sitting there, he's dying of thirst and this, and this note is saying, take all the water that I could drink now and put it in the pump. And everything in him said, just drink the water. Don't trust the pump. Nevertheless, he poured all of the water into the pump and began pumping. And an abundance of cool water came to the top. The Bible's like the note on that water jug. Sometimes the instructions contained in it don't make sense, but it's always right. I'm confident in the scriptures. And if I'm not, what's causing me to doubt? I'll give you one more thought that can help you be confident in the scriptures. How do I know the Bible is true? Again, it starts with faith. Okay. And I won't spend too much time on this, but it starts with faith. We understand that faith in its revelation, 
the revelation of the scriptures. That's the process whereby man heard exactly what God wanted them to have. It's inspiration, okay? The process of man actually writing down what God wanted said. This is God filtering his word through human personality. So you have its revelation, you have its inspiration, then you have its illumination. The process by which God uses the inspired record of the revelation of himself to speak to the hearts of humanity. And then you have its preservation. That is God keeping his word through the test of time. Revelation, inspiration, illumination, and preservation. God promised that he would preserve his word, Psalm 12, from this generation and forever. Let me show you just a look at real, real quick one verse on this topic and then we're going to move on. Look at Isaiah 40 if you would. Isaiah chapter 40. The Bible says in Psalm 119 forever forever O Lord Thy word is settled in heaven. Um, we're, we're talking about preservation. And there's a lot of people coming against and saying that the Bible wasn't, you know, either inspired or it wasn't preserved. And, and man wrote the Bible and all the attacks, again, going back, Genesis 3, on what God said. And what is happening is the devil in these last days is trying to undermine people's faith in the scriptures. Okay? Now, the Bible says in Isaiah 40 and verse 8 that the grass withereth. And I look over here and I see, you know, uh, things that kind of begin to wither. The grass withereth, right? The flower, now these ones aren't fading. There's a reason these aren't fading. <laughs> it looks nice. The glass, grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of my God shall what? Stand for how long? Forever. I think of these and I'm reminded of uh, my wife and I, when we first got married almost 30 years ago, we, uh, the one thing when I see grass in, at all, and I see it in our area, uh, it wilted. I, we, the one argument, I know that shocks many of you. Yeah, we used to fight over watering the grass. It was a major issue. And, um, so I used to sneak water it. You know, I would like, you know, she'd be gone. I'd like get in and she'd see it all wet. And then we just, why well, gotta water it? I don't, she said, well, it's gonna, it's going to come back later, you know. So we just go these battles. So that's a microcosm of what we dealt with with water because when we first got married, there was, I got in the shower and there's a five gallon bucket in the shower, this big bucket. And I said, honey, what is this bucket for? She says, well, first of all, you run the water so long to get it hot before you get in the shower. Just put that in there so I can use it to water my flowers. And then she said, when you're done, put your foot in the bucket and all the water will run off of you. And I can use that water too. So, uh, yeah. You don't know all that when you're dating, do you? Right. The grass withereth. 
the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Jesus said, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. There's nothing like the word of God, folks. You're about to enter into a Bible conference. You're about to enter into a leadership conference. And and there's nothing like this book. This book completely transformed my mind. And it'll do the same for you. And there's many times, uh, and I'm going through the Bible and I'm reading, I'm like, I, I just read for 20 minutes and I don't remember what I just read. It's like, did I really get anything? Well, let me, let me ask you this. How many of you know, how many of you know, what did you have for dinner four days ago? There's always one, isn't there? He remembers. You're ruining my illustration, but thank you, brother. Nine days ago, right? Spaghetti, right. Anyway, you get... Hey, the point is, we don't always remember all the meals. But we sure got fed, didn't we? Even when you don't think you're getting something from the Word of God, you're always getting something. God's Word does not return void. You know, interesting thing about the church of Thessalonica it says they, they were, this was a, a commendation of them. It says that they received the word of God, not as the words of men, but as it is in truth, the very word of God. And then it says this, which effectually worketh in you. If you start each day and you get on your knees and you just simply say, Lord, I don't understand this book. I can't understand it apart from you. Please give me wisdom to understand the word of God. And it's interesting, the psalmist said this, Open mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. See, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto them. Neither can they know them, because they're spiritually discerned. But when you get saved, the light goes on. In, in this book, completely, we talk about illumination, begins to, and at the right time, God will give you exactly what you need. Sure, there's days where you feel like, I don't think I got anything. You got something. Just stay faithful. Just stay faithful. Nothing like the Word of God. Billy Sunday said this, may we treasure it. Listen carefully to this. We go to our second point, and our last ones are really quick. Our last points are really quick. Billy Sunday said this about the Bible. 29 years ago with the Holy Spirit is my God. By the way, Billy Sunday, old-time evangelist in America. Forgive me for just assuming you knew. He said, 29 years ago with the Holy Spirit as my guide, I entered in at the portico of Genesis. He said, I walked down the corridor of the Old Testament art galleries where there were pictures of Noah and Abraham and Moses and Joseph and Isaac and Jacob and Daniel, and they hung on the wall. He's talking about going through the Bible. He says, I passed into the music room of Psalms where the Spirit sweeps the keyboard of nature until it seems that every reed and pipe in God's great organ responds to the harp of David, the sweet singer of Israel. He says, I entered the chamber of Ecclesiastes where the voice of the preacher is heard and in the conservatory of Sharon and the lily of the valley where sweet spices filled and perfumed my life. 
I entered the business office of Proverbs and in the observatory of the prophets where I saw a telescope of various sizes pointing to far-off events, concentrating on the bright and morning star, which was to rise above the moonlit hills of Judea for our salvation and redemption. I entered the audience room of the King of Kings, catching a vision written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, thence into the correspondence room with Paul and Peter and James and John, writing the epistles. And lastly, he says this, and he kept this in the flyleaf of his Bible. He said, I stepped into the throne room of Revelation, where the tower of glittering peaks, where sits the King of kings upon his throne of glory, with the healing of the nations in his hand. And I cried out, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. My desire this morning is that somebody that walked through these doors, if they ever had any doubt in the word of God, that that would be settled today to go back and say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I believe it. And I'm confident in what you said. And then secondly, and quickly, if you would notice, confident in my salvation. I, I honestly would just kind of be quick on these last ones, but we go back to our initial text. Am I confident in my salvation, being confident of this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ? Four things stand out in that. Number one, be confident. No reason why not to be. <laughs> Someone began a good work in you. Can I ask the church this morning, when you got saved, who was it that began a good work in you? Who was it? It was Jesus. So be confident, no reason not to be. Someone began a good work in you, it was Jesus. And he goes on to say that he's going to perform it. How long? Until the day of Jesus Christ. It's an important topic. Many Christians struggle. And I've been in the ministry long enough to know this. Now, now, I don't mean this in a negative way. This is only, maybe it's only in America, but, but in my experience, ladies sometimes will struggle a little bit more with the security of the believers. Guys may struggle with other stuff a little bit more, but the security of the believer. Whether or not, am I truly saved when I take my last breath? Am I going to heaven when I die? Do, is that really true? Uh, did I really get saved? Can I lose my salvation? So the question is, if you do struggle with doubt in that area, how do you combat it? How do you get the victory and become rooted in your salvation where doubt does not creep in and you start wondering if I'm saved? The answer, that's why I started with the scriptures, is simply just go back to what God said. You just have to do it. There's nowhere there else. You're not going to get it any other way by, other than going back to what God said. How did you get saved in the first place? Was it by works or by faith? Are you saved by grace and then kept by works? So you have to just go back to what God said. Remember your, your salvation and how you received it, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. In essence, he took our place. Let me share with you just briefly Isaiah 53. We know the passage, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. He's turned everyone to his own way. And watch this. And the Lord has laid upon him, that's Christ, the iniquity of us all. 
He bare our sins on the cross. The just for the unjust. And so Christians are kept by the power of God, 1 Peter 5. If God can lose us to the devil, then the devil is stronger than the Lord. And we have to remember that. And then lastly, be, am I confident in the second coming? Am I confident? Is Jesus really coming again? Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, he said this, I will come again. Many reasons why this is so important. What, why, why? Why is it so important? Because it affects the way you live. Your confidence that the Lord's really, not just intellectual assent, but you really believe in your heart that today that could be the day, it affects the way you live, it affects your decision making, plays a role, and if you're not confident in that, it can cause you to lose hope. Can you imagine going through this wicked, ungodly, perverse, and vile world thinking that this world is your final abode? That's utter despair. It's horrible. Paul said this, an interesting verse in 1 Corinthians 15, he said this, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, and I agree with him, we're of all men most miserable. But praise God, it's not just in this life, it's in the life to come. The Bible says hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when it's realized, it's a tree of life. The last passage I want us to see before we close is 2 Peter 3, if you'll turn there please. 2 Peter chapter 3. The scripture tell us that in the last days, there's going to be people that question the return of Christ. Second Peter 3, if you're there, say amen. amen. Look at verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust and saying, here it is, where is the promise of his coming? Where is it? You guys have been talking about that forever. Since the fathers fell asleep, all things just continue as they are. They're mocking you. So ask yourself the question, am I confident in the second coming? Am I living like it's a reality? Am I looking for that blessed hope? Let me simply remind the church today, unequivocally, and by the way, it's whether we believe it or not, whether we doubt it or not, Jesus Christ is coming back. He said he would. Now we're living in the last days. We're, we're kind of seeing that happen. Where's the promise of his coming? And that's happening. And people are living as though he's not. Some professing Christians are living as though he's not. He is coming, right? Uh, I remember when my mom, whenever she would leave the house when I was a kid, um, I don't know why I'd always get up in the, and I'd start digging in the kitchen because I, you know, I was getting trouble for getting into candy and and all the cupboards and stuff. You'd look for the chocolate chips or the cookies or whatever, and I always wanted to do it and didn't know when she was coming home. But I'd get up there and I'd start going through the cupboards and stuff. And for some reason, I don't know why, it usually happened about once a year, but I got burned. You'd grab that chocolate that she had in this thing, and it was all in this wax paper, and it was baking chocolate. 
And you eat, oh, why do I do that? Happen about once a year. You know, I'm such an idiot. And, uh, but I never wanted to get caught up there. In essence, I didn't want my hand in the cookie jar. The Lord's coming back. And the Lord sees everything we do. He knows every thought that's going through your mind right now. Every thought, every hair on your head, every intent of your heart. He is coming back. And we are accountable to a holy, righteous God that we do right the best that we can. Bob Jones Sr. said, do right, do right, do right, till the stars fall from their silvery sockets. Do right. And that's because we are accountable and the Lord is coming back and we'll give an account for what we did with what we have. And, uh, and if, you, if you mess up, listen, you never, ever, ever lose in the Christian life. If you fall, the only way you lose out is if you don't get back up. A just man falleth seven times, yet riseth again. You just get back up and you get back up. Christ is coming back. The Lord says that he's coming back in his word. That's why the Bible's so attacked. The devil knows if he can undermine a Christian's faith in the Bible... He's done his job. Am I confident in the scriptures? Am I confident in my salvation? I'm going to say to somebody in here today, just quickly. Don't ever, if you've truly trusted Christ as your Savior, and you've put your faith not in religion, not in your baptism, not in your good works, but in the death, burial, and resurrection, you've repented and turned to him, and you've trusted him, you're saved. You're sealed into the day of redemption. Your salvation is secure. The Bible says, nothing shall separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, I know this guy that was saved. He really was saved and he walked away from the faith. Well, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter number 1, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. You see, when God sees you, he sees Christ. Because when you get saved, Romans 4 says, the righteousness of Christ has been imputed unto you. You're saved, sealed into the day of redemption. John chapter 10, Jesus said, no man nor any evil thing shall pluck them from my hand, and I and my Father are one. So take that and accept it. And put your head on the pillow, knowing that heaven is your home and just try to live for him, not have to worry about it and have the doubt. Am I confident in the scriptures? Am I confident in my salvation? Am I confident that Jesus Christ is coming back? It all goes back to what he said. The, de the devil said in Genesis 3, hath God said, I'm here to tell you today. He did. Be confident in that. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for a book that tells us everything we need to know. Tells us where we came from, how to live while we're here, and most importantly, where we're going when we die. I pray for Good Shepherd Baptist Church. I pray for the folks here. Maybe somebody walked in here today that's struggled a little bit with doubt. Wondering privately if all of this is true if it's really worth it. I pray that today, that just 
just what we saw in your word today would give that confidence and help them to be rooted in that. I pray for the remainder of this day, the service to follow will be with Pastor Hernan. Give him wisdom. Uh, fill him with the Holy Ghost and use him as he preaches today in the service tonight and for the kickoff to the meeting on Monday. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And amen. Amen. amen.